Hi, welcome. We're Phil and Jen, and this is episode eight of our third season. This season is called We Can Make Change, and it is hopeful conversations with people that are making beautiful change in the world. And this episode, episode eight, is a conversation with a friend of mine named Todd Bolsinger. And Todd is a fascinating human, and he's an old friend. He was a professor at the seminary that I studied to be a pastor at. Uh, he was a mentor and a colleague in San Clemente, where I had my first role as um, a youth pastor for a number of years. And uh, he not only led that church and then was operating in another church before that, but then he went on um, to do a bunch of fascinating work. So I'm just going to give you his bio. He serves as the Associate Professor of Leadership Formation and Senior Fellow for the Dupree Center for Leadership at Fuller Seminary. Before that, he was the Vice President of Fuller Seminary and the Chief of Leadership Formation at, at the seminary as well. Um, he's written a number of books, including Canoeing the Mountains, which um, had a huge impact in mine and Jen's life, as well as um, the staff and leaders in the church that we were leading at that time. Um, he wrote uh, a book most recently called uh, Tempered Resilience. He's also a frequent speaker and consultant, and he serves as an executive coach for corporate, nonprofit, educational, and church organizations and transformational leadership. And so we're excited to have Todd join us for this conversation that I've been wanting to have for well over a year. We've been talking about having this conversation together of what is happening in the world in terms of like where is the church at in America and where is it going and what is he seeing as he's working with all kinds of people and denominations and organizations that are attempting to navigate that change. And so he has such a unique perspective and pulse on what's happening in the spiritual landscape of our country, especially as it comes to seminary and higher education and pastors and pastoral leadership and nonprofits. And he is uh, one who leads people as an agent of change and how to navigate change. Mm. And so he's yeah. like, he is in it. And so this is a fun conversation. I loved this conversation so much. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Before we jump in, we are still doing sessions. You can jump in on those if you would like. You can sign up for that on the website, philandjenwood.com. Sessions are just where we meet with people one-on-one, -on -one, whether it's about parenting or uh, marriage coaching or spiritual uh, guidance. We've been meeting with people. Really just love that space so much. Um, and as we're heading into the new year, we have some really exciting new things coming up that we're going to be rolling out in the new year. So stay tuned for that. We'll be uh, posting all that on the website coming up. And now for episode eight with Todd Bolsinger. Todd, welcome to our podcast. Um, I am so excited to see you. I'm glad to be with you guys. Thank you both very much. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah. welcome. It's been a long time. We, I mean, gosh, you were pastoring in San Clemente at um, San Clemente Press, and I was at the Shoreline as a young, like, intern and youth pastor over those years. And then, um, obviously, you were working at the seminary as a professor over those years that I was going to. And then, when we planted the church, you were a friend and a mentor, and we were part of a like a preacher formation group with you over the years. So we've kind of kicked around a ton. Yeah. Um, and obviously, you're not leading at that church anymore you are working at fuller seminary um, yeah. and i know that your role was a vice president in um, working with like leadership formation 
and obviously doing executive coaching and adaptive leadership with lots of different groups and churches. What, what are you doing currently? How has that changed over COVID? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so for 17 years, I was San Clemente press as their senior pastor. That was the end of 27 years of being a pastor, uh, wow. in a congregation. Yeah. And then, um, went to work at the seminary as a vice president and then kind of a chief of a leadership of the division. So kind of like a senior VP role did that for seven years. Right. And then my, basically I went there because my job was to, I mean, I, I really work on change. That's really what I do. I work on helping churches go through change, helping nonprofits go through change, um, helping faith leaders thrive as change leaders is really what my life is about. And um, the president, Mark Labradon, invited me to come on his team. I was his first appointee and we were going through a big change process. And one of the things we did is we, it took us a long time to finally get a, a strategic plan that is now called Fuller Next. And it's okay. a it's a beautiful vision about for the future of theological education. And when that was beginning to get solidified, I said to him, you're going to need someone to manage this. And what I've realized is that I just want to go back out and work with more people on change. And so, so I offered, I offered to resign and to walk away and he said, why don't you do something here at the school? And so now today I'm a little bit like a doctor. I have a private practice, a consulting work that I do right. that is called AE Sloan leadership. My wife and I, uh, took our individual coaching and consulting work and put it together into a new company uh, that's cool. named after one of our mentors from San Clemente days. Okay, uh -huh. and then, yeah, and then I work um, as a professor and run the Church Leadership Institute at Fuller. So I said I'm a little bit like a doctor who has a private practice and teaches at the med school. Yeah. Right. Also does, <laughs> yeah. Does research. That's really what I do, except that instead of at the med school, it's at the theological seminary, and I work with church leaders. I mean, all day long across the, as diverse of the church as possible. I work, I get up every day and I work with somebody who's trying to lead change for the mm. sake of Christ in the world. So wow. like, like give us just an example of the breadth of, of leaders you're working with. Yeah. So this fall I worked with, um, just this fall, I worked with, uh, let's see, three different kinds of Baptists, three different kinds of Presbyterians, two different kinds of Lutherans, two different kinds of Anglican slash Episcopalians. Um, Several, um, and a group of Roman Catholic missionaries wow. who are planting churches in Appalachia. Whoa. Um, I worked yeah. With, I worked with, yeah. So, I, I mean, I worked with um, a couple of big nonprofits. I work with two different denominational leadership teams. I'm going to, in January, I'm going to go work, I'm going to go film a podcast with the brand new president of the Vineyard. So, like, I, I just get to work across the spectrum. Um, I always say that I get to talk to people who don't talk to each other. That's true. So, Absolutely. Yeah. People do and not talk to each other. It's a big spectrum. <laughs> right. And, and part of it is because, um, we're all experiencing a changing world. Like the world is, is changing for all of us. And so we all have to ask these questions about what does healthy, faithful change look like? That's right. Yeah. We were saying like the timing of your book was couldn't have been better. The fact that that was already out and available to people when yeah, all yeah. this change was happening. Cause yeah. you wrote Canoeing the Mountains how many years before um, COVID? Yeah. Yeah, so I wrote Canoeing the Mountains during the summers of 2013 and 14. It came out in 2015. And, and it was all about the fact that after a 1500 year or so season of Christendom, the church was changing in one generation. And right. that's really rapid change. And then COVID hit. Right. <laughs> and, it's, and then COVID exploded hit. Yeah, right. change. Yeah. And then, then everything changed in like a, a weekend. Yeah. And so um, so Canoeing the Mountains, which is really a book about how to lead when you're no longer an expert. Um, and how to develop the kind of leadership that you need to develop 
when you can't draw on best practices or old old um, strategies um, was Kundalini Mountains came out. And then in 2020, this next book, Tempered Resilience right. came out because that book was written as I started working with people around the country. They all wanted to talk about the chapter on sabotage and they all wanted to talk about the fact that uh, we're burning out to change, which is now becoming a really critical topic at the moment. Yeah. You know, like uh, the studies that have come out just this last month about, you know, 38% of all pastors considered this year resigning, oh. which was, yep. yeah, which was up from 29% in 2020, right? I so, said that's the statistic I read was right at 30%. Yeah. Yeah, so around 30% during 2020 all said, hey, we're going to, I'm tired of this. I want to do something else. That went up in 2021. And here's the two parts that are even worse. Um, in mainline churches where you think, hey, those are stable. They've been here forever. They're going to be here forever. 51% of pastors said, I'm considering leaving. And wow. for pastors under 45, that was almost, it was 46%. Wow. So, about, so think about, this way, about half the pastors of the future you know, mm -hmm. Also today, I'm I'm get, I'm out of here. Yeah, I'm I'm ready, I'm ready to be out of here if I could find another job. Now, not all of them did resign. Thank praise be to God, but it's really a, a really a crisis. Wow, Dan White. Um, are you familiar with Dan White? He's a like he's a pastor and kind of leader in the missional church movement. But he um he oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. actually I do yeah yeah he works with a bunch of pastors. And he was giving the statistics that of just of his personal experience, how many he was working with that actually did leave. And um, he was just kind of walking them through that process. And it, but that was kind of at the beginning of those early statistics. So it's, it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty wild. I mean, it is okay. The, the changes more broadly, I, I emailed you this. I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to fire off the statistics on top of that. Um, so 47%. So, so for the first time, a minority of Americans believe in a monotheistic God. So combination of Christianity, Judaism, Islam, 47%. And then 33% of Americans consider themselves religious nuns. So it's like no religion, but spiritually open. Um, I've read, but I haven't seen it like verified, but, but about 30% of congregants have returned kind of post COVID and something like 30% of Americans say they would never attend a religious gathering. And I think like you were writing into this big change that was happening already. And then I think COVID just like sped it up. Like, what do you, what are you seeing? What do you think is happening? Yeah. I actually do think that, I think that I would say that COVID was an apocalyptic event, meaning it like, like the book of revelation, apocalyptic, it revealed. Yeah. It's already revealed. Yeah. Revealed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, really so um, yeah. So here's like one little, little nugget just from my own experience. Um, March 15th, 2020 um, was the Sunday after March 13th, right? Friday, mm -hmm. Friday the 13th was the last time I got on a plane for almost over a year. Mm -hmm. um, every pastor I know, you know, we had to go online that weekend. Every church went online that weekend. And 15 speaking engagements were canceled for me in that next week. Wow. That was about half my year. So I was doing wow. about 30 times I was getting on a plane, flying to someplace, talking about change. So I thought, okay, I don't even know what I'm going to do in the next year. I did 170 webinars. Wow. wow. So all of a sudden, yeah. like, so you're the need for your, yeah. So, and so part of it, what hit it was, I got an opportunity to ask people because in a webinar, I could ask questions and everybody could just ch chime in. And one of the questions I asked was what's being revealed in your congregation during COVID. 
And what people talked about was, oh yeah, these things we've worried about for a long time, like a lack of discipleship. Mm -hmm. Like we, we did not rise to the occasion. Like this, this is not like the first 400 years of the church where mm -hmm. during pandemics, the Christians were so remarkable yeah. that the church grew. This has not been mm -hmm. that season. Um, community, like we thought we're members of one another and that we have taken covenant, like we're taking covenants with one another. People are now, people who are brothers and sisters in Christ are dividing over which kind of news program they watch. Yeah. Um, the lack of leadership development, like there were places in the country where for a lot of COVID, you could gather if you could gather in groups of 12 or less. What could you do with 12 people? <laughs> like, like Austin, you realized like the Christian movement was built around groups of 12 people, right? Mm -hmm. And yet we couldn't, we didn't have enough leaders for that. Wow. So, so what became revealed was there is this much bigger sense of shifts that were here all along that we, many of us were talking about and thinking about and yeah. working toward that just came bubbling to the surface that now we have to deal with head on. Yeah. Wow. And what were you hearing from leaders as you were kind of processing with them? Like what was there? Was there a major theme kind of coming across or? Yeah. The major theme, the two, there were two themes. One is we were not trained for this. Like mm -hmm. we really weren't trained for this. We were trained for other things. Um, like, like, so, so here's just a one little thing and I, we're all part of it. Right. Um, the mainline church for years said, well, the best metric is church membership. People to make covenanted commitments to each other. And for a whole bunch of us, we went, yeah, there's a lot of churches out there. We're a lot of members, but nobody shows up. So mm -hmm. maybe we need to make it about church worship attendance. Right. So for a lot of our churches, the focus became the Sunday morning gathering, the worship attendance. Yeah. that's the thing that fell apart during COVID. Oh yeah. So all of a sudden you start realizing we were probably building and measuring for the wrong thing. And most pastors I know were like, and that's the thing I've been trained to do. Like I've been trained to do the mm. Sunday morning thing. I've, yeah. oh, I've, you know, I've been trained to do pat preaching and I do some programming that is built around supporting Sunday morning and we do some pastoral care. Well, what if you can't get to people or nobody will call you? What if, there's no programs you can run right? and nobody can show you where you're preaching except maybe on a podcast or a webinar. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now go pastor those people. And that became a real challenge. Like how do I learn to lead totally differently? How do I learn as we go? That's become the most important thing for a disruptive world is their capacity to learn. And that for us, for me, I mean, when I hear learn, I, I can't help it, but, a disciple is a learner. So I hear this is like God bringing us back to our roots. Mm -hmm. So we need to become disciples again. We need to become learners again. And that I think is part of the shaking that I think is happening during COVID. And, and the second part was this need for resilience. People said, I mean, so many people said the hardest thing is not the world out there. It is the resistance of my people in here. It is, mm -hmm. it is the most so true. Right. The most social thing for pastors. It isn't oh. like, oh, there are people who don't believe in Jesus. We're like, turn us loose. That's why we're here. It's right. When you turn to your community and say, there are people who don't believe in Jesus, and they go, yeah, but we don't, we gonna argue about whether we're wearing masks or get vaccines or something. Right. right. So we realized for most one of my one of my clients said, Todd, my inbox is a terrible place to be. Yeah. No matter yeah. what I say on a Sunday morning, my inbox is flamed the next day. I mean, one of my clients today wrote me. 
she made a post about care, reaching out to people with special needs and she got criticized. I mean, wow. <laughs> wow. Like, it's hard to do. I okay. <sighs> I used to joke about creating like a like a feature on a mailbox that was I called it the nuclear option. But if we got to that yeah. point, you could just hit the button, it would nuke everything in it. And you're like, I don't know, it's all gone. It got <laughs> nuked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's that's crazy. Yeah. But it's true. I mean, that was our experience. I love what you were talking about, about um, the metrics of like success and what pastors were taught essentially to how to measure success. And it's essentially like bodies in a seat on a Sunday. And I know that even if you were trying to fight against that as a leader and you, when we were having so many conversations, I remember before all of this and saying like, what actually is success? Like are our lives being transformed? Are are we embodying this thing as a community? Like, are are we are we loving our neighbors? Are we living this out like on the day to day? Like, is the community embodying this on a Wednesday, not just you know? Mm-hmm. And then I think the challenge too as a as a leader that I found, which I I, I could totally see why this is something that everybody struggles with, is like even if you're trying to live by a different measure of success, it's like the rest of the world is putting that measure of success on it, you know? And so anyway, I just, I think that that's why it's interesting that you say like so many leaders found themselves so ill-equipped or feeling like we weren't ready for this to me. I'm like, that makes so much sense. So, so think about this. We know this from other parts of our lives, right? Um, We measure what matters, Whatever matters, we measure. We we keep track of, right? Always. So you know, we all went through school, and we all know there's a difference between an A and a B. You know, <laughs> like then, yeah. like you, yeah. the, you keep track. You measure what matters. What what you count counts, and if you don't count it, it mm. doesn't really count. The problem is, is we if we don't know what matters, it's hard to measure it. Yeah. So think about just um, things like you know, for years, everybody talked about how important IQ was. Like the most important thing was how smart someone was on an IQ test until you started realizing that most of the best leaders in the world weren't as ac- weren't the most smart, smartest people in the world. Right. So, so EQ, emotional intelligence became more important than intelligence. They said the IQ gets you your first job. EQ, emotional intelligence is what gets you promoted into leadership. Yeah. Well, okay. So that means there's a whole set of skills and things that we got to work toward and train for that we haven't even planned. You know, yeah. like we we started hiring people who had the best grades from the best schools and realized they weren't the best leaders or the best people. Right. right? Like, like, like so, so how do you measure EQ? How do you measure character? How do you? And, yeah. and what's interesting is you look at the scriptures and the scriptures gives us lists of like, here's the characteristics that matter. Right. Here's the characteristics that matter. Yeah. But if you look at schools, since for the example, I mean, schools are still, that's how we still wire things, right? Like you get into the, whatever the best schools with the grades, with the IQ, with the, with the numbers, the SAT scores, the, you know, I was just talking. I work at a seminary and I have people who will say to me, would you mind changing my grade? Because I want to go get a PhD. And I'll literally, I'll say, you're at a seminary. (laughs) Like you're Y'all. at a seminary. How much and money you got? Right. What's it worth? And and I literally, I've, I've had to say to so many people I know, like, unless you're trying to get a PhD, unless you're trying to get a PhD, nobody's going to look at your grades ever again. Yeah. So how can we use the seminary to be a time that is about your whole soul formation yeah. and not just 
like how well you write a paper or do on a test. Like, come on. And yet it's so hard, right? It's so hard. Uh, I have people that come, I've never gotten anything below an A. Well, congratulations. Here's an opportunity oh, for you to go oh your gosh. character. <laughs> Here's a chance for you to work on your humility and your character. Oh, man. <laughs> that would be, yeah. So uh, true, though. Like the care, I mean, personality, you know, how do you lead if you have straight A's and you can't talk to people? Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. And, and how does, so, so you go to the question, like almost, so I do consulting. I'm working right now between the church leadership Institute and my company. I think we're working with like 60 congregations, either the churches or their leaders all going through change. Lots of different levels, lots of different places from like deep, deep dives with some mega churches to small churches that we put into cohorts to learn from each other, all kinds of stuff. One of the hardest parts, every single one of them is, is asking a question about metrics. So what should we be measuring? Of course. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the question and the answer is we're not quite sure yet. Right. Yeah. Because that's we, the hard part. We need to, right. We need to spend. So the question you got to actually spend time with is what is the fruit of the spirit? Mm -hmm. And what is the thing that we're supposed to do? How do we measure? Jesus says the most important thing is that we would love God and love our neighbor. Yeah. And how do you measure and that? Most, <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so then how do you measure that? And I'm not even saying that you need to measure it like in terms of numbers, you could measure it in terms of like, um, do our neighbor, like I, I used one metric when I worked, uh, this is a, this is a made up metric. Okay. When I was in San Clemente, I used to say, the thing I want is someday real estate agents who are trying to sell a house will start listing our church as one of the reasons you should move your family to this town. Hmm. You should say, you know, the reason why you move, want to move your family to town is there's this group of folks, this Presbyterian church, who've made this a beautiful place to live. They're, they are involved in the community. They teach. Um, they work at the Boys and Girls Club. They coach on the soccer team. I mean, yeah. this is an amazing community because I, I used to say, I want real estate agents to, met, to mention San Clemente Presbyterian Church before they mention the beach. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. <laughs> but we never thought about Oh, yeah, that's great. That might be one of the ways to think about the fruit of the spirit, as opposed right. to instead of you know, did we get fifteen percent more people in our Sunday worship services? So mm, yeah. Um, as far as change, like when you're trying to encourage leaders right now, and you're like this adaptive leadership, what are some kind of just key? You're just like trying to help people along to be adaptive. What are some key things that you can tell people? Cause we're talking about how do you make change in our lives? How do you make change in the world around you? Yeah. So adaptive leadership is built around, um, several big concepts, but the first concept is we've already talked about, which is you have to be committed to being a learner. And that for most of us, that means overcoming the expert expectation. Hmm. So especially for pastors, we never talk about it, but, you know, people come to seminary because someone looks them in the eye and says, you're one of the best Christians I know. You should go pro. You, you should go <laughs> off to professional Christian school, right? And they go to professional Christian school and we give them a master of divinity. They sound divinity. like part of the Marvel. I mean, it sounds, yeah. Right? It's hard and to tell people. Yeah. Right? And then we send them into congregations and in some ways they are the expert. Like, like most of our graduates know more about the scriptures or church history. We train them in things like basics of counseling. I mean, if you spend more than five years as a pastor of a church, you probably deal with more death, mm -hmm. more divorce, more pain. Yep. So there's a lot of these ways that you're really a competent professional. 
now you have to have the, the character to stand in front of your congregation when they go, what are we going to do? This world has totally changed. And you've got to be able to say, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And we are going to learn together. All I know is we're going to have to learn our way through this. And you know what happens at that moment? People go, well, I wonder if we can get somebody in here who does know. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Let's vote that guy and out. They, t- they take you right off of that little pedestal that you're on, right? And like, they're all, you're not a human. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah. You can't. So the, yeah. So the first thing I work with, I mean, what we work with is we say, you need to embrace the vulnerability of leading through learning. Mm. That's the first characteristic of an adaptive leader is that you lead through learning and it has, it feels vulnerable. Mm. Like, um, like you have to be able to understand how vulnerable that feels. And to have that, you're going to need to have then the relationships that hold you. So we talk a lot about, um, like in temporal resilience, I talk, I use a blacksmithing metaphor. And I say, if you're the thought that, if you've been in the fire so much that you feel like you're like a piece of steel that's oozy, like it's like it's losing, it's like it's hot, red hot, and it's molten. You need to be put on an anvil that can hold that heat. Mm. And that for us is, and this is so when we work with leaders, we always say, tell us about your partners. Tell us about your friends and tell us about your mentors. You need all three. Mm-hmm. Partners are the people, I would say my partners are people who care about the mission more than they care about me. That's how I know I have a partner. Because if I said, hey, I think God's calling me on, they'll go, I'm going to keep doing this. Like partners care about the mission more than they care about you. My friends care about me more than they care about the mission. My mm-hmm. friends are the ones going, hey, Todd, congratulations. I saw you had a book out. And I go, yeah, it's on leadership. You want to read it? They go, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm, I'm just happy for you. Mm. Your mentors are the people, I would say my mentors are the people who care about me so that I can live out my mission. Mm. So mentors are therapists and spiritual directors and coaches. And that's, and so I always say to leaders, you know, um, you need to be able to be able to be a vulnerable leader who leads your people into learning. And you need to have, have a mentor, a coach in your life where you are learning. I, I, I just really, I, I mean, I believe no matter where you are in leadership, if you are trying to lead without a therapist, a spiritual director, or a coach, or maybe multiple of those, mm-hmm. I think you're on the verge of leadership malpractice. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just think it's that important. And I learned this from my wife. She's a marriage and family therapist and executive awesome. coach. Yeah. When she, when she was a marriage and family therapist, she had to have supervision. Yeah. And she's, the state of California would expect me to be under supervision. And if I'm not under supervision, then I'm more liable. I mean, I mean, like if you've ever seen the show, The Sopranos, <laughs> you know, like the therapist in The Sopranos who is working with a gangster talks to a supervisor about how do you work with a gangster? Like, it's amazing. Like, imagine gangsters have this better than pastors right now, right? <laughs> oh my so, gosh, that's crazy like, thought. Like, we need to realize that the vulnerability of leadership requires the relational security. And so, I always say, leaders, start with those things. Start with the idea that you're a leader. It's going to feel vulnerable You're because you need to be a learner and that you cannot do this by yourself. You need help. You need support. Yeah. Um, and we, we can, st- there's a lot more we can go into that, but that's the place I start people. That's great. It's, it's a slight shift, but what do you, 
I'm convinced there's like a massive shift happening and isn't, it's not just a spiritual shift, but like a, it's a whole like universe shift of mm-hmm. almost like a deinstitutionalization that's taking place. So, I mean, in the like political sort of climate, that's so polarized. If you really look underneath it, there's like a, a drawing towards more of a tribalistic us first versus more of a globalized broader thing. Or, or you look at like economy now and what's happened in El Salvador and the adoption of of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency for the first time, and you have like a deinstitutionalized economy. That that's like a a wild first step. Or you look at like Facebook Meta and what they're doing, and they want to create the metaverse. And it's it's like a like like even in publishing or in music, you see such a deinstitutionalization and the ability to yeah. like self-publish and self-move. But 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 I think that's what's happening in like in the church and in spirituality with so many people stepping out of what they used to know, because most of the people I know who stepped out of it, they're not saying they're leaving something. They're just, it's, it's almost like they're like they're they're They keep going. If that makes sense. And in their mind, it's almost like there's like a, an, like it's a really weird thing. I can't put a finger on it, but it feels like there's a, like a massive deinstitutionalization taking place, which, um, it's not that they're not spiritual anymore. That even that they've walked away from like the message of Jesus. It's just that they're not maybe attending church anymore. Is what yeah, is yeah. a lot of what we've been seeing. Yeah, yeah. I I do think that there is this fear, uh, this thing um, that is changing dramatically. This notion. I don't understand it all. I, I mean, that's all I can say is I don't understand it. I I know there's a lack of trust in institutions. Yeah. I also know there is a deep disconnection relationally mm-hmm. people want their people and they can't seem to find them mm. oh that's good like like we work with we work in every single time we have a community a, ch- a church or an organization that goes into a community it goes into the community and we we make them if they're going to do change in their church go interview people in the community right and we ask them tell them do not ask about the church ask about them ask about their lives ask about their pain and you'll have these places where people will say stuff like, um, I love living in this town because there's so many great things and you can get to know people. There's so many young adults like me and they'll go, so what makes it hard to live here? Well, I'm thinking about moving because I haven't found my people. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. We were there like so the, many times We in the had so many people. That we were um, yes. Similarly, like, yeah. like would be like, we have to go now because we, similar, similar thing. Like I don't feel connected. Here. connected. I can't find my people. Yeah. But you're like, uh, but you're yeah. the most connected human that's possible in this community. There's no one more connected. Than if you, you can name all these ways they're connected, but it's interesting. There's like a, it's, there is like a, a communal almost loneliness that it feels like. And then it also feels like COVID really sped that up. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, I think, I, mean, that's, I think it's the big part is that COVID sped that up. And I do think that there's a place where um, technology has, is helping because it helps people maintain loose ties. Yep. There's a lot of conversation about the difference between loose ties and tight, like loose ties are what help you. Um, they're like, your they're your neighbors and your, and your coworkers and your yeah. friends from college and the people on your Facebook page and your Instagram page. Yep. Loose ties are really important because loose ties help you connect to the world. They help you find your next job. They help mm-hmm. you uh, discover things you wouldn't discover. Deep ties. I would say that loose ties help you um, survive, help you thrive. Like they help you get to your next thing, hmm. but deep ties help you survive. Mm, yeah. And so you need both. You need yeah. multiple. That's why we talk a lot about needing multiple relationships. 
And I do think that the deconstruction that's happening in a lot of places that is accelerating is accelerating is because we're losing both deep and uh, loose ties. We, huh. we're, we're losing both. And I think some people have, like, like the healthiest people have both. They have the capacity to have lots of colleagues, lots of friends, lots of people you're connected to, and a few people who know me deeply. Mm. And I think that, that I think that's one of the places where there's a deep hunger that is not getting met. Mm. Huh. Yeah, I would agree with that. And with such a isolated time over the last, I mean, we just announced another mask mandate in California. I mean, we're, everyone's freaking out again, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. yeah, it is. I think the, the part, the biggest part I'm aware of at the moment is this, I think the speed of change is the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, because we're, it's like, um, I mean, just think about this little notion. 150 years ago, nobody had ever heard of jet, jet lag. Like, just think. <laughs> Nobody, I mean, that's what wasn't the thing. Yeah. I, no human had ever experienced jet lag. Nobody is human had ever experienced the idea that you show up at some place you're that is across the world and you're going to be sleepy and tired and feel sick, right? Because mm. the technology hadn't done it. Now we all know what that's like, right? Yeah. Imagine the kinds of things we have in our lives that we haven't even begun to experience now that we're just now paying attention to. Yeah, we have it's no really idea the effects. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Mm. God, okay. What I mean, what do you, it's, it's almost, I mean, it's a question that you couldn't answer with any definitive authority, but I mean, what do you think, what do you see happening in the church? Like, what do you think is going to be happening in like the American Christian landscape? It's, I mean, it's quite complex, but like, what do you see emerging out of this time in terms of these shifts and these changes? The, the, the only way that I could say this with any kind of confidence is just the pool of churches that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. The churches who are working, who are acknowledging that this is a different day. Mm -hmm. um, remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was an article by Andy Crouch and a couple of others who um, that he worked with where he talked about the difference between a blizzard and yeah. a stage. age. Yep. He said, that. he said many people thought about the, has thought about this pandemic as a blizzard. We just need to hunker down, get through it. It'll get beyond us. I remember this in the very beginning. I remember, yeah. So Andy happens to be a friend. And, you know, I said to the people, now we know we're in an ice age. Oh, yeah. But people are keep acting like it's a blizzard. No. Right? Yeah. right? Okay, just hunker down a few more weeks. We'll, be, we'll get back to normal. And so, so what I've realized is I would say the difference in the church is not going to be who's bigger, who's smaller, who's conservative, who's progressive. It's going to be who is oriented toward a whole new world. Like we are in a new environment mm. and who is trying to get back to the old one. So yeah. when I talk to churches and people say this stuff to me, like, we just want to get back to normal. I go back to what? Right. Back, back to the church that lost a million millennials a year for over yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Back to that one. Yeah. Back to the church that was complicit with racism for the last 150 years. Which right. one do you want to get back to? Right. Which like, one? That's right. Get back to what? Right. Instead, you have this moment of asking, well, we don't know what the future is. Right. So how about acknowledging that we're moving into a future and we need to learn and experiment our way forward? Yeah, it's good. So, you know, um, 
I, I lived in Los Angeles when Wayne Gretzky moved there, you know, like, mm. so all, Los Angeles became a hockey town. Right. And, yeah. and, like, <laughs> and, um, and uh, people used to quote Wayne Gretzky all the time. You know, the key to success is to skate to where the puck is going. So if you can mm. figure out where, where, it's, where the future is, go there, right? Right. The problem is we live in a world where now there are four pucks going four different directions. <laughs> At least. <laughs> when you said that, like how, yeah. No, it's moving so rapidly. So fast and so chaotically, right? And so. Yeah, Zuckerberg's like, we just launched the metaverse. You're like, what does that even mean? But I know it's going to change everything, but I don't even understand it. Well, and Bill Gates said three years from now, we'll be having meetings in the metaverse. Wow. Now, now that sounds crazy, huh. except for this. My mother, who is 79 years old, gets on Zoom. I mean, exactly. Right? My mother exactly. wouldn't get a, well, she wouldn't be on Facebook. She wouldn't get, she liked her flip phone. Right. Mm. But okay, here we she are. On, but she got on Zoom because she wanted to see the face of her grandkids. Yeah. Right. So three years from now, we might be having a whole different, we might be doing a podcast like this in a virtual world with our avatars. I think that's the normalest thing in the world. Yeah. And we'll still have no idea how that affects us. That's, right. Yeah. Because we'll, we'll be in jet lag. Like we're still, <laughs> or we'll still be catching up. Yeah. So when I work with churches, I say to them, we're not, not going to try to predict the future. We're gonna, we don't predict, we prototype. You can right. do small experiments to the future. You take a core value. I just lose you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're back. So it's, Say that again. Sorry, sorry. You prototype. You take a core value. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't predict, you prototype, you take a core value, something that you know, you will not change, like get really clear and not a lot of them. There are a few things. These are core values. And then ask what's the healthiest adaptation of that value. And then try modest experiments, mm -hmm. small things. The way you know you're doing an experiment is you're not asking the question, did it work? You ask the question, so what did we learn? Mm. Now, right. That's great. Hmm. Oh, I love that. No, I mean, that's that's been a lot of the work that Jen and I have been doing. So we handed over the church we planted almost a year ago and have been doing experiments. Mm -hmm. trying and that's things exactly how values, we framed them. Prototyping. What are we that's learning? Literally the what did we learn? Okay, what did we Was learn that fun? Do we enjoy that? Did that even did that achieve that the helpful? value we were aiming for? Yeah. 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 So what so what can you learn by being in lots of conversations about the future and then and keep clarifying what's next? That's so, I had this experience um, back in San Clemente that I often talk about. Um my, one of my, my worship director, my worship director, who was amazing, turned 30, and I think I was 50 at the time. And she invited me to her 30th birthday party. And I, oh, great. Good idea. Invite the 50-year-old pastor. I'm not going to know anybody. And there are, right. this is awkward. What a dumb idea this is. She goes, no, 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 no. It'll be great. I want you to come. I, I adore her. She was a great colleague. So I go to her 30th birthday. I'm literally thinking, I'm going to drop off a present. I'm going to walk through. I'm going to leave. Right. And I get there. I get to the party. I know everybody. Oh, so fun. They were all young adults who'd all been part of our church. And none of them went there anymore. Mm. Oh. So I spent the evening spending time with them and, and talking and we're connecting. So I went back after it was over, then like the next week I went to her and I said, I said, here's a weird part. I knew everybody and they'd all been to the church. She said, I know. I said, was that okay? I said, here's what I learned. You're a great worship leader and they're your best friends and they don't come. 
So whatever it is about reaching young adults, it isn't going to happen through having a great worship service with one of their friends. Right. Hmm. Like our big strategy was hire a really great younger worship leader and we'll get younger people. That doesn't even work with your friends. And at first you went, Oh, I'll try harder. I went, no, no, that's not, you're not getting it. (laughs) (laughs) The point is we don't know what it is. Hmm. So I asked her, I said, can you get a group of them together just to meet with me? So I could just start asking them some questions. Mm. I love that. And what was powerful about the experience was the power of sitting down in a conversation and asking questions. One of the guys who was in that group is now an elder at that church. Oh, wow. Just listening, learning. Yeah. Like engaging in a different way. Now, not everybody. And it didn't start, you know, we didn't start a great big idea, but we learned. And what I learned was that has stayed with me ever since is we are not going to be able to program our way out of this one. That's right. Yeah. There is something else we're going to have to learn as we go about the way we connect to the next generation. It is not about a uh, hipper version of what we did in the past. Like, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I know it's not that. So yeah. let's try something. Let's try something else. Mm. I'm, I'm convinced that I, I mean, I think it's a substance thing and an essence thing and like an embodiment thing, but I hear people talking about it. Like they call it the great Western spiritual apocalypse, and I, which makes me laugh. I actually think it's, it's a great awakening where yeah. people are awakening to a genuine like spirituality and connection to God. Whereas before what I saw in a lot of it, it, it lacked that embodiment, that essence. Um, it, it, at a large scale, which I think is probably part of the reason that some people are awakening and wanting more. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's a really, I, I think it's a really cool time. Yeah. And the revealing that you were talking about to me in a way, it's just a lot of things that needed to come to the light, you know, like it's almost like a, it, to me, I almost picture it like a stripping away, but like in a healthy, good way, you know, yeah, yeah. and like we, what you said, like, what do we want to go? What do we want to go back to? Like the race, is it the racism is that was that it? Or is it that, you know, but I mean, before we weren't talking about these things, a lot of right. people, a lot of us anyway, and here, now, now we are. <laughs> and to me, that's good and beautiful. It's just painful. It's painful. Painful. So Change is painful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so the first thing we teach people about leading through a, what's called adaptive leadership, which is leading when you're not an expert is you got to be a learner. Second one is people don't resist change. There was this loss. Mm. So whatever the future is, you're going to take people to the loss. Mm. So that's why the whole metaphor of canoeing the mountains, it's about the story of Lewis and Clark trying to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. They run into the Rocky Mountains. What do you got to do? You got to drop the canoes, mm-hmm. which is easy to say and hard to do when you built those canoes with your bare hands. Yeah. And you came on the journey because it's a water journey. Mm. And now you tell the person who is an expert river navigator, oh, we're going to burn your canoes and we're going to have you carry luggage. Right. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm cool. Yeah, I'm good. So, so this is where a lot of churches are today. People are going, I didn't sign up for this. I know. So what is our deeper value? For Lewis and Clark, it was in the midst of all the kind of stuff we can talk about in American history that's complicated. The deeper value they had was this enlightenment value it came right from Thomas Jefferson. It was this belief that the growth of human knowledge will lead to the growth of human happiness. 
So learning, taking it, every step, they're making the world better if they'll keep going. So they proceeded on. That's what Meriwether Lewis said. They proceeded on. Hmm. So then what I got to ask ourselves, what when we start dropping different ways we've done church, different presumptions, different assumptions, what is the deeper value? And I do think there's the great awakening is going to be that you're talking about is going to be about that. What are, what are the core things that connect us to God mm-hmm. that really is that are going to be disruptive of all yeah. the ways in which we have tried to domesticate God into something that's comfortable yeah. for us? Absolutely. Yeah. I really hope so. That's, <laughs> I do. I, that's, it's a really beautiful thought to me. Like that's, because we just add so much on, you know, we've added so much on to it. Yeah. It, I think the thing has to die. I mean, that's what's happening because it's only from death that life comes, you know, yeah. it's just, nobody wants to die. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so the, the passage, I'm writing a book now on um, the intersection of adaptive leadership and discipleship. It's really like, how do you lead people to have this capacity to learn to face losses, um, to, to navigate competing values. Here's two really valuable things. We got to pick one. Yeah. Mm. To, to have resist resilience in the face of resistance and to experiment your way forward. How do you create a congregation that can do that? Because when pastors get in front of a congregation and say, let's do that, people go, no, let's get a band in a smoke machine. Or oh, yeah, <laughs> laser beam. Nope. Right? Exactly, right? <laughs> so how do you create the capacity to do that? That's the question. The verse that I'm using that keeps coming back to me is John 12. Unless a seed falls to the earth and dies, it remains a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That was the verse that Jesus used to talk about his own death. When did he talk about it? That's what's so interesting. When you look at that passage, it's when the Greeks wanted to see him. Like when they went to Andrew and said, hey, we want to see Jesus. What Jesus doesn't do is go, oh my gosh, we're broken to a new market. Let's scale. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> <laughs> he says, oh, this is the indication that the world is changing dramatically. This is no longer just my ministry to the lost sheep of Israel. This is the beginning of a new day. And this new day is going to be a death yep. before it is a fruitful life. Absolutely. And I always say to people, you know, if you're the grain... You got only two choices. You either stay alone and you become a grain that shrivels up and produces nothing. It just takes a long time and then you'll shrivel up or you fall into the soil and die and become fruitful. Yeah. So which choice? Holding onto your life so you shrivel up and are not fruitful? Like it's no longer about preserving your life. It's about what is the fruit of your life going to be? It becomes the most important capacity that has to be built in the life of our church and our spiritual spirituality. Yeah. As you're saying that, I'm thinking about even how do we raise our children? And we have three kids, three boys that we're raising right now. I'm thinking like, how do we raise our kids in a way that even normalizes that journey? Because actually we're, we're taught to do the opposite, right? Like it should be, I think we're taught like life should be this like upward just trajectory. And like, you're like trying to climb the thing, right? Like you're not taught to die to yourself again and again and again. But that really is the Jesus journey of like, 
again and again, you die and you rebirth and you die again. And it's hard and it's painful and it's, you know. Yeah, and growth itself is a set of losses. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I remember my, my son's 29. I remember when my son went came back from his first day at kindergarten. And he's a great, he's a brilliant guy. He's doing a master's degree. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah. As a kindergarten, I said, I said, how was your day today? He goes, Dad, we gotta be in school for six <laughs> hours. I gotta spend my whole day here. Like he was literally grieving his like preschool mm. life. Yeah. yeah. He's dead. And like that, you're having to let that go, pal. You're into this next season. And I can sit there and say, it's going to be great. You're going to love it. And he did. He loved school. It was awesome. But at that moment, all he could think about was, I've got to spend six hours doing this. This is not what I want. Right. So helping us to come to grips. And and I mean, one more story about that is we had a season at at the San Clemente where there were like three like suicides in Mm -hmm. the year. There was a, there was I remember, a space. I, I remember, remember that. that. You, I remember yeah, that. We were around for that. Because we were friends as kids. Yeah, and one in one of the moments of one of the middle of it, one of the parents came to me, and there's a group of teenagers who were all uh, gathered together. And one of the parents came to me and said, Pastor Todd, please go tell them. This is not what life is like. They're not going to, it's not going to be this painful. It's not, mm. I just can't believe that, that, that they have to go through this so much. Go, please go tell them that. And I literally looked at them and went, I can't tell them that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Like that's, my faith doesn't say we'll protect you from pain. Yeah. My faith is about a, a, a God who came into our pain. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So took on the full burden of mortal existence, as one journalist said. Right? So, so how do we tell, how do we gently introduce people to the beauty and um temporariness of this world like we all it's it's precious Mm. because it doesn't last forever yeah so Mm. now what do we do that's beautiful um it's kind of hard to transition here that was so good (laughs) build off that okay the, the yeah, last that's what I was going to do is them. I think just this is one thing we've been asking all of our our um to to speak into our listeners all of our people that we've had conversations with but what's one thing that you could just leave people with that when we're talking about change what's kind of just like one practical thing that they could take away from this that they can maybe do or like try to lean into in this season knowing that we're all going through so much change let me um, let me quote the great theologian who quoted a great literary talent. Theologian is Ted Lasso. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that show. Be curious and not judgmental. Great. Like, like I've studied a lot about leaders who lead change, about leaders who are resilient. At the center of leaders who can lead change and be resilient is they are curious. They are humble they are learners i i just today we spend time with my son-in-law who said he said he literally said to me if you were to boil down to one most important quality i mean you know it's nice you have a son-in-law who asked you these questions i mean wow. solid yeah you're winning <laughs> right it's like like that's what you want someday right um what's the most important quality todd that you want in a leader and the answer all the way through the scriptures is humility mm. it is be a learner it's be a learner 
We had entire movements in the past that we're now experiencing their downfall leaders. One of which famously said, I can't learn from anybody who doesn't have a bigger church than me. I uh, yes, wow. yes. I, I recall that. And that arrogance is killing us. Yeah. It's killing us. Yeah. We have got to be, we can learn from anyone. Yeah. So, Brilliant. So the, what I said is the most hopeful thing you can do is be curious, be a learner, be be open to changing your mind. Like mm-hmm. get good at going, oh, I was wrong and now I see this. Yeah. Um, okay. Brene Brown said, don't worry about being right, worry about getting it right. Worrying mm-hmm. about getting it right. Like that quality helps you not only be a better leader, it also helps you be more resilient. And it helps you actually take on the fact that you're going to discover more and more and the world becomes a much better place to be. Mm. Yeah. Oh, so that is so good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thank you for opening up just all of your work and your life. And um, this, this has been so fantastic. I'm really thankful for you. I appreciate you, my friend. Yeah. Thanks so much. You have made an impact in our lives and specifically those formative years that Phil spent with you in that practicum. I know that was like really um, impactful. And even just your books, we've used your books in our leadership trainings and yeah. So just thank you for all the work you're doing and are continuing to do into the future. We're really grateful. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. Enjoy these conversations and let me know. I'd love to hear. All right. Yeah, (laughs) we are. We're learning so much and it's been, it's a fun journey. So Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to check out our website, philandjenwood.com, to register for upcoming experiences and to see what else is going on. And if you enjoyed this, feel free to subscribe. You can even leave a review. Keep going. See you next time.